Life Issues with Vicky Gibbons on UCB1. How many stories of misogyny and criminal cases of violence against women have you heard recently? Don't we continue to debate as a society how we can keep women and girls safe and ensure unacceptable behaviour isn't normalised? But how do we then view those involved in the buying and selling of sex? Western culture promotes personal freedom as being linked to sexual liberation, and surely prostitution is a sign of moral decay. But doesn't this industry also lead to the objectification of women, and are some not genuine victims trapped by their personal circumstances? Sophie Burley is the director and founder of Women on the Frontline Ministries, And her book is called Divine Destiny, How God Shaped My Identity. Welcome to UCB's Life Issues. Well, thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Now, from your childhood and early adulthood, you wouldn't have thought you would be where you are today. And so your own journey of finding your true self and identity as a child of God, it was a total turnaround moment, wasn't it, in your life? How did that come about? Because a friend had not long got you to try going back to church again, which you'd done as a youngster. Yeah, that light bulb moment. I I was I was in a relationship. I had two young children and life, you know, was good, had its ups and downs as you do with life. But um I felt that it wasn't as good as it could be. I felt things were kind of stagnant in my relationship and knowing God God gave me a decision, basically, that, you know, do I want to carry on in the life of sin or do I want to go down the path that he has for me? And it was it was it was difficult. um, But uh, I decided that, you know, Lord, I want to follow you. I want my life to to change. Um, I need, you know, something different in my life um from the way it is right now and that's when my life totally changed I kind of um left left my relationship I left my home of many years um had no idea where I was going or where I um would go um but I just took that step of faith and trusted God and he opened a door and I and me and my children um, stayed with family and and that was kind of I would say the beginning of my journey because I was I was heartbroken from the relationship because we'd been together for a very long time and um, and God came in as my healer and helped me to see differently he helped me understand repentance he helped me understand that he is with me every every step of the way of my journey. I even had the um, the scripture of Isaiah forty one ten that I kind of held on to that um, you know says that I'm not to fear. God is my help. He holds me up in His righteous right hand. He is my strength. So yeah, so that was part of a big part of my journey and the challenges that I went through. Um, when I decided that, you know, I'm going to repent of past ways and sin and take the road that God had for me. But, you know, it's it wasn't an easy thing to do. 
but God, I believe God gave me the faith. He gave me um, the grace to be able to do that. And um, yeah, so that's what I did. And Sophia, some of your childhood experiences as an adult, it seems that God has enabled you to understand more about some of the emotions and the experiences and actually how your security with your identity is found in him being a child of God. Just share a bit about what happened with obviously growing up, having a stepdad and some of the conversations that you overheard and how that impacted you. Growing up, it was it was kind of traditional that you were seen and not heard and and that was um part of being at school as well you know you're seen but you're not heard and in growing up in my uh family um it was everything that happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors and so you just over time you learn to just be quiet be silent if things are not right you you're you just learn to keep quiet about it you learn to not share things that are going on you learn um not to be opened and and honest you just keep it to yourself and over time that is just something that's suppressed you know over time as you get as you get older you're suppressing things that you've seen that you've heard and I, I was brought up in a dysfunctional family. I was brought up in a family where there was violence and, and there was abuse. And I was the oldest of um, the siblings, as my siblings. And so I felt that I had to also protect my siblings from what we were seeing and from what we were hearing. And as you grow older, you don't realize how that affects you, um, what you've seen and what you've heard. But you've you learn over time to just suppress those feelings and those emotions and those painful situations that you've gone you went through. And when I was young, I think when I was about sixteen, and you know my mum did this to protect me. Um, I overheard a conversation that my dad, who took care of me, brought me up, wasn't my biological dad, and I overheard that in a conversation. I didn't know um, he wasn't my biological dad, but you know, in all honesty, he he um, took care of me, and I would have never known he wasn't my biological dad because he never it never he never showed me or treated me any differently to my other siblings. But overhearing that conversation, it it was it was damaging, you know, because. It what uh, for me it wasn't my mom or my dad that told me this you know it was a um, a family member that had come over from a, another country um, on holiday that kind of said you know oh this is um, his children but this particular one is not and to hear that and I just thought no they must they must be mistaken you know when I first heard that. Um, and that just really, really um, affected me, hurt me, um, made me feel that I was the odd one out. And, um, yeah, so that's how I, I felt, a sense of rejection as well. But over t- at the time, I didn't 
know about that feeling of being rejected, but it was there. It was rooted within me that I had that that spirit of rejection um, and being the odd one out um, as well. And so I, I, you know, I just carried that with me. I did, um, I did speak to my mum about it, and she did, ex- you know, did explain. And it was, it wasn't to hurt me; it was to protect me. But I did feel that. Um, I had the right to know, um, but yeah, so that was a journey in itself, you know, and all these things that you suppress and you hold within you, God helps to to shape that and to bring that, because God works from the inside out, so he, he helps to bring that to the surface. Um, he helps you to know that your identity is in him and you are who he calls you to be and he loves you regardless um and he's with you regardless he's a a father that and a lover and a lover that i've never experienced in a father you know so yeah so that's kind of part of my my journey um with god and those experiences did you feel that they were important in how then things evolved for you and feeding into building women on the frontline ministries? Yes, they were. Because all that I kind of go went through and have gone through and continue to go through, they were part of shaping me, making me stronger, making me uh, the person that I am today, um, a woman of faith, um a woman that's trusting in god and knowing the impossible things that god can do and i think if you don't go through certain things in life the then how are you going to be able to stand and encourage empower build up other people that may be going through similar stuff that you've been through all of what i've i went through was a part of that is a part of you know leading me to that ministry that he called me to to uh, be able to share with others the experiences that I you know that I have gone through that um I'm not just sitting back and thinking oh I've got empathy for you but I don't really have that understanding and so it's a way of me having that understanding having that compassion and that love for the individual that could be going through not exactly the same things as me, but similar situations, you know, the low self-esteem, self-worth, confidence, fear, all those stuff that we go through as human beings. Yeah. As we're chatting today, we want to encourage you to check out more about Women on the Frontline Ministries. Of course, there is a website that you can go to, and that is wofm.org.uk, wofm.org.uk. Sophia Burley is my guest for our life issues today as we discover more about what God has called her to do and how she's understanding more about how God is shaping her identity today. Sophia, describe to us that first experience of ending up on the streets ministering to prostitutes. The ministry started from prayer 
and fasting because I was I was I was just seeking God I I really was just seeking God wanting to know you know my purpose and what God had called me to do and and I felt God wanted me to go out to go out and minister to women in prostitution and I was I was very apprehensive because it's an area that I didn't know much about and so I did a little bit of research, a little bit of volunteering in um, a secular organisation, just to get an idea of what is this, what is this about, what do they do, and and I just felt um, doing this little bit of volunteering weren't the right thing to do, and so I had a group of sisters in Christ, and um, we prayed, and I asked, you know, I knew the local area where the women were, and I asked, would they accompany me to go out and minister to the women on the streets and and so we did um we just went out to the area where we knew the women were and we approached we approached them said we were christians we were coming out to see how they were um and that was it we didn't have any idea of what we were doing what we're gonna say or anything like that we just went out and just said hi hello we've just come out to see how you are um and um yeah just just befriending them basically but for me that it didn't seem to work i i I went back and i prayed and i said god they're they're not engaging with us they're they're apprehensive. What do we do? So um, I really felt the Lord put on my heart to go out with gift bags. And so that's what we did. The next time we went out, we had gift. We went out armed with gift bags and we started approaching the women. It's kind of it just changed the dynamics of conversations. It was like we were going out there giving, giving the God's love to these women and giving them gifts where they're so used to people always taking from them and they opened up in conversations and they they shared with us their experiences of uh, of the life on the streets the violence the abuse that they face um some of the reasonings behind why they're out there uh women with um drug and alcohol issues mental health issues but we would go out there you know, for me, it was going out there sharing the love of Jesus with these women. It wasn't about going out there and, um, you know, like some people think, Bible bashing and telling them you're doing wrong, you need to come out of uh, this lifestyle. You know, judgmental. You, you can't go out there judgmental. These women are learning to survive while they're out there. So we went out there um, sharing the heart of God and his love for each one of them. And we just found that we had so many conversations with them. We prayed with the ladies, we we hugged them and they just waited for us. Every, every Friday night, they would be expectant of us coming out on the streets to have conversations with them. So we did. And that's kind of how the ministry first started was just taking that step of faith and going out and just being the hands and feet of Jesus, which we are all, you know, called to do. And Sophia, I mean, you seem to quite easily get a a group around you who wanted to be involved in this within your own Christian community, because there is often apprehension not only about individual safety but also this idea that the old the oldest profession in the world 
and its links with sexual immorality. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, they do say that. But you know what I've heard as well, that the old it, it, it isn't the oldest profession because um, uh, it's just a, a pun that um, Adam and Eve gardening was, is the oldest profession. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's very uh, stigmatised industry, even though it is seen as the oldest profession. It doesn't mean that these individuals women made that choice growing up that this is the profession that they wanted to be in for me this is through no other choice that they found themselves in uh these this lifestyle and through research as well many of these women were abused as a young child and um that is how they found themselves in the lifestyle of prostitution and and each one of them, you know, have a story to tell. And we need to remember that these women could be someone's daughter, someone's mother, someone's sister, you know. they And they are women who God loves. And he's put on my heart to go out and minister to them because he loved them. He loves them. He has a purpose for each one of them. And they have just found themselves in this vicious cycle as well. Many of them that are on drugs and alcohol and are in prostitution to to pay for that um, habit, that addiction that they have. They are human beings. They are people, they are individuals and they have a story to tell and it's about getting to know who they are, you know, and we also got to find out the reasons as to why they have found themselves in this situation. Some women we've met, you know, went to college, they studied, they held down jobs, you know, and their lives just spiralled out of control. Some women have been co coerced into this lifestyle. You have women that um, are victims of trafficking as well. So each one is an individual and each one has a story as to why and how she ended up in prostitution it's not as straightforward as people seem to think and it's and saying it's the you know that cliche of you know, oh it's the oldest trick in the book it doesn't mean that they they should stay in that lifestyle it's about us being that example of who jesus is and drawing them out of darkness and bringing them into the light of his truth in your experience then, Sophia, would you say that the majority of, and we should acknowledge that men can, of course, be involved in this industry, but when you look at the landscape and statistics, again, that's a really hard thing to come about, uh, actual robust data on how much prostitution there is in the UK, but the majority of it does involve women. The majority of it, actually, many of the numbers are based in London, the capital. What about those, though, who argue, Sophia, who work as sex workers? And there are there are so many different types of prostitution as well, aren't there? But those who want it to be fully decriminalised, labour rights, because they say, actually, this would reduce the harm and increase safety for us in this industry. Yeah, I do. I think... It should it it should be uh, those that are purchasing 
sex from women that are criminalized and not actually the women i believe in the like you know the nordic model that women need the help and the support to actually come out of this lifestyle and not be criminalized because it, it this um is a stigma and it prevents them from moving on in their lives it holds them back from it it becomes a barrier to them moving forward in their lives because of convictions of loitering for the purposes of prostitution becomes um a conviction on their record and it and it stays there and it hinders them from moving forward and moving out of that lifestyle i think um like you said the majority is men purchasing um sex from women and it's about raising the awareness that this should this should stop there should be an end to this um men purchasing women for the purposes purposes of sex because women are not a commodity you know they are human beings and should be treated as as such what about the legality of it here in the UK for anyone that doesn't really understand? Okay, well, in the UK, um, loitering on the streets for the purposes of prostitution, what the police would normally do, they would normally warn the women. And um, if they continue to see them, then they are arrested, they're brought to court and they are, and they're fined. And if uh, they're working sing as a single woman in their own home, um, then they're not fined. It's 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 okay. It's seen as okay. Um, but if there is two or three women working from a, a premises, it's conceded. It's seen as a brothel, and um, it's seen as a crime, and they can also be fined taken to court so it's seen as it's illegal basically running a brothel um it's illegal loitering on the streets for the purposes of prostitution within the uk so you have set up this idea of safe women's project how do you enable women to leave this profession because some would argue, well, they're going to have few transferable skills when it comes to getting a new job, building a life. And as you describe, some of this is entangled with past abuse, as well as all sorts of addictions too. Our initiative, the Safe Women's Project, it was about creating a safe space uh, for the women to come to. Our, our dream is to actually have a house where the women can come to and receive that, you know, that all round spiritual, physical, emotional healing around this particular industry. So it's about coming, it's about seeing the individual need for each woman. It's about coming alongside them on their journey to exiting. Some women are not ready to exit that industry, but we come alongside them on that journey for when they are ready. So what we offer is, you know, that one-to-one -one confidential support. Many of the women need trauma um, counseling. So we're able to refer women for trauma counseling. We are, we help them 
dream again, you know, with dreams that they may have. We do assessments with them as to what support they may need and we um, work out with them how can we help you along the way? How can we journey with you? What is it that you actually need? And a lot of it is about counselling. It's about building self-esteem. It's about building confidence. And we also um, signpost. So if someone's in need of um, a referral to maybe a mental health um, service, then we would do that. If someone's in need of um, drug and alcohol um rehabilitation we have contact details to refer the individual to um, local rehab um, centers for the women to go to so we base it on that individual's needs at that time and how we can support them some people some of the women may need help with housing so we would contact housing services on their behalf it all depends on what that need is at that time and how we can support them. Some of the women have actually come out of that industry, have children. So we would help with filling out housing application forms, filling out forms where they may um, want to go to college. Um, we help fill out forms to get their children, you know, into schools. So there's many different facets of an individual's journey that we try to help and support them with in the book and you've changed her name there is an individual called penny who has actually been an inspiration to you tell us a bit about her journey she has she was a pivotal point of me continuing in reaching out to the women because through her i saw god move i saw a total transformation in her life with her it was that one night we went out on the streets and um she she came over to us because you know we were giving out the gift bags and that's what she said because the gift bag and she wanted one she wanted to know what we were giving out and she wanted one of those gift bags and from there the relationship built we built a friendship from there the pivotal point for her was when we met her one night and she had been attacked the night before someone literally had strangled her to the point where she passed out that night when we met her she shared that story with us and we just embraced her we just loved her i told i told her come and meet us the next day and she came and she met us the next day and we had a mobile phone for her because that night her mobile phone got stolen as well. And I think that was a pivotal point for her that she'd got come to a place where she had just had enough of the lifestyle that she was she was in. She'd been in that lifestyle for 20 plus years. And this was a, a woman that held down two jobs. She had two jobs and she had a young child. And it was when she lost her jobs that her life just spiralled out of control. And then she lost her, her child to social services. And and I think that was that was it for her. And it was when someone introduced her to drugs and she found herself addicted to taking crack and heroin. And she lived in that lifestyle, like I said, 20 plus years. And we, yeah, we would meet her on a regular basis, providing her with food vouchers, uh, clothing, 
and we shared to her how much God loved her, regardless of what she had done, what she was going through, how she felt God loved her. She was holding on to guilt and shame, and she didn't believe that um, God loved her anymore. So when we, we shared to her that he did, she she knew of God um, many years ago when she was much younger. She accepted salvation, gave her life to Christ, and she decided that she was going to go into a Christian rehabilitation place, and um, she did. And she went in and was rehabilitated. She came off of drugs. We were able to write to her. So we was in constant contact with her. Then she went into a um, halfway house when she came out of rehab, totally set free, clean from drugs. And we would visit her and encourage her. And she eventually um, studied, held down um, a part-time job, from her studies, um, she um, she became a professional counsellor and she also runs her own professional counselling services and she um, got married and I went to her wedding. So I have seen her journey from where she was to where she is today and she inspires me now because she encourages me to continue in what we as a ministry are doing she has said to me you know sometimes a lot of the time basically that a lot of people don't know whether these women are alive or dead or they don't even care but she remembers the evenings and the nights that we would go out and we'd call them by their names and we would treat them with dignity. We would treat them with respect. And we would just love them as, as women who God loves as well. Sophia, as you've helpfully explained to us, those involved in buying and selling of sex have links quite often to violence, to gangs, to drugs. The work that you do comes at personal risk and that is something that you directly experienced on the night of Friday, the 25th of November in 2014. Would you share with us what happened? What happened was, um, as I normally would, I go out on outreach uh, to the women. And on that particular night, the women actually um, came over to me, rushed over to me and said to me there was um, there was a, um, a man with a rucksack and they believe he had something in his bag. They didn't know what it was. I looked over and I saw the rucksack was open and I saw the top of, um, it looked like a knife. I, don't, I'm, I wasn't quite sure. Anyway, I advised the women, let's, Let's walk away from him. Let's walk in the opposite direction to to him. And this was on a main main street that this um, this incident happened. And the police are aware when we're out on outreach because we do let them know. And so on this particular night, as I advised the girls, let's walk away from him. They did. Um, they eventually crossed over this main busy road into a shop. And I stayed on the same side 
I stayed on the opposite side, sorry, of where this person was. And I thought this would be an opportunity for me to call the police and just give a brief description. I went on the phone and I was on the phone to the police. The next thing I knew, I turned around and all I remember was a hand raised and and I don't remember anything else after that. After that, I was I found myself getting up from the, the pavement and um, I was covered in blood. And I was I walked I was walking along the pavement on the street. I heard a, a silent whisper say to me to sit down. And so I sat down on the pavement. I was with my volunteers, but at the time I I didn't see any of them, so I don't know where they were. But I do remember one of them coming over to me because I just said to her I wanted to sleep. And she was shouting, Sophia, don't sleep, don't sleep. God's with you, don't sleep, don't sleep. And then the next thing I knew was when the police came over and they were cutting my clothing and then the ambulance came over and they were cutting my clothing as well and they were checking to see where else I was bleeding and then I got put into the ambulance and taken to um, the local hospital. When I was in the hospital I had to have stitches to my head and it was only afterwards that I found out that I had been struck with a meat cleaver to the front and the back of my head and the back of my shoulder by this unknown person um, that night on outreach. And so I ended up having 50 stitches to to my head in total from the front and the back. Um, I ended up staying in hospital. That is in a short version of what happened to me that night. Um, I was attacked and this um, individual was charged with attempted murder and um, I I had to go through explaining to the police what happened that night and the trauma and the experience of that was just horrendous. and at the time of that happening to me, I was thinking, where was God? Why did it happen to me? I go out there knowing that God is with me, uh, protecting me. We go out praying. We always pray before we go out on the streets. And, yeah, I did question why that happened to to me, you know. I'm doing the will of God. I'm, you know, going out doing what God has called me and to do and put on my heart. And, um, yeah, I went through a journey of healing. Um, I had a prayer group that I would attend as well. Most of us, Sophia, would completely understand you choosing never to go back to the streets at night to support these women and the situations they're facing but as you describe in the book and you've shared with us briefly there God did do a healing in you and continues to support you what do you make of the situation 
in our wider culture today, when you hear of the misogyny, when you look to all that's happening with the police and the predatory behaviour that's been found and the misconduct allegations and the toxic behaviour, what reflection do you have on our wider society and how women are treated today? The violence against women and girls is, you know, a very high on the agenda because of what is happening to them. And they're always, you know, women are seen as the the weakest, the weakest link, the weakest vessel, so mistreated. Uh, and it just, I don't know, it just, it breaks my heart to know a lot of the things that women, you know, experience and face at the hands of majority of the time men, the violence in society and all of this, you know, is deep rooted in is sin. It's deep rooted in, in sin and um, no regard for humanity or the life of another. And it's not what God wants for any one of us, you know. He came to set us free. He came to give us freedom and not to fear um, of being attacked, um, of experiencing violence. We should be able to walk the streets freely without, you know, being attacked or being fearful or being afraid of coming out of our homes being fearful of people that you trust, you know, um, you put your trust in people and being disappointed and um, taken advantage of. It's a world that God said would would, would get worse, you know. Um, people's hearts have grown cold. The people's hearts... There's no, there's no love for another human being. There is so much that's going on in society. There's, there's a lot of anger. We should, as women and girls, feel safe in the environment that we live. We should feel safe in our home. We should feel safe in relationships that we're in. And we should be able to trust those in authority um, to take care of our, our well-being. When we look at your divine destiny, it has been very specific what God has called you to do. What would be your wider challenge for us as individuals, for local church communities in responding to this issue? Remove the stigma and the judgment. Step out in what God has called each one of us to do. You may not be called to go out on the streets and minister to the women as we do, but we were all called to pray, and you can pray into these situations. When we see women on the streets and it's obvious that they are in this industry, we could say a kind word. We can support ministries like myself, in, in prayers, in volunteering in other ways, you know. I feel I, I feel that it should be more support from the church for women in this particular industry because I find it quite challenging sometimes to even 
um, share, you know, within the churches about what is actually going on on the streets. I think there's this kind of, some of it is a lack of understanding um, of the issues that the women face. It's the stigma of, oh, well, they've chosen to live that lifestyle. They're not wanting to get involved um, because of the stigma that's attached to it. The church, we are called to love our neighbour as ourselves, and this is what we should be doing more of. We should be going beyond the four walls of the church to reach out to those that are in need and to reach out to these women that are a lot of them trapped in this lifestyle and um, find out how we can support ministering to women in prostitution rather than turn our backs and say, oh, well, this is not what I've been called to or this is not an area that I'm, you know, I know anything about. You can, there's so much information um, that you can find out concerning women in prostitution and women that are victims of trafficking. There's so much information. And you can also, you know, contact our organisation. And I'm happy to come to churches and, and share the work of what we do. Um, I don't believe there is not one person within a church congregation that hasn't got that passion or that compassion to reach out to women in this particular industry, but they don't know where to start or how to to go about it. And we, we do offer training in going out on outreach. And we also, even though we're called Women on the Frontline, we have had men that have been part of what we are doing as well in coming out on outreach. So it's not just about women going out and uh, ministering to the women men have also come out and just even though it's just about chaperoning us it just shows the women a different side to men that men are not all the same not all men are violent not all men treat them badly there is a different side to men as well and yeah i would encourage those who feel this is an area that they want to step out and minister to women in this particular industry, you know, get in touch, find someone, find an organisation in your local area that um, is doing similar outreach as we are. And Sophia's organisation is called Women on the Frontline Ministries and the website to visit is wofm.org.uk. Her book is called Divine Destiny, How God Shaped My Identity. Thank you for this conversation, Sophia. Thank you, Vicky, for having me. It's been a pleasure. So the sex industry isn't a clear-cut issue of empowerment and feminism versus shame and victimisation. Profits can be accompanied with abuse, hardship and addiction. And according to Sophia, a space in our communities that needs friendship, safety and God's love. Thank you for listening to UCB's Life Issues podcast and thank you to today's producer, Rachel Gillis. And we hope you'll enjoy discovering more episodes on UCB Player.